This week on Across the Peak, Rich and I are going to tell you how to watch the news with a critical eye. Welcome to the Across the Peak podcast, the show where Rich and Justin discuss preparedness, the birds and the bees, guns, history, tattoos, and, well, basically all the stuff your old man should have taught you. Rich Brown's a failed 70s child actor, retired Marine Corps officer, and former cop. Justin Carroll, he's a washed-up former special operator, half-assed author, and adventurer at large. Learn life skills, harden the fuck up, and become a dangerous man. Get your damn boots on, gents, because we're going across the peak. Rich, what's going on, buddy? Not a whole lot, brother. Good, man. Good. Uh, how's how's life, man? Anything new with you? Uh, what's new with me? Hmm. Not a whole lot, man. Um, you know, we did a little work tidying up over at the uh, house next door, and that's what we did yesterday, and... That's about it, man. It's a slow day on the farm, I guess. That's That sounds pretty nice, man. That sounds pretty nice. I'll be honest. I've had so much stuff going on that I scheduled in a slow day tomorrow. Um, we we literally had to put it on the calendar and say, hey, nobody gets our Saturday. Uh, we're recording on a Friday. Uh, and we're just going to we're gonna watch movies. We're going to drink beer. We're going to make popcorn. And we're not going to leave the house. We we literally had to schedule that in, and we've had to turn down plans of like two or three different people because everyone's. I don't know. It's just a busy time of year, I guess. Uh, and we have been on the go for the last month and a half, and it's time to just have a do nothing day. I love those, man. I love the fact that you guys scheduled. That's the way to make it happen, man. We actually scheduled it. We actually wrote it in the calendar as a snow day because, uh, I man. I, I, I hate to admit this, but I love a snow day when I'm snowed in and I can just guilt-free hang out at the house, throw throw a ziti or something in the oven, throw a lasagna in the oven, throw a shepherd's pie in the oven, put a stew on the stove, whatever it is, drink too much, watch a bunch of movies, and not have to get out and do anything or go anywhere except walk the dogs. Yeah, same here, bro. That That is always a, a good thing here on the farm. You know, we've got the big wood-burning stove. We'll just stock it full, put a DVD in the DVD player, tube up Netflix, and just enjoy the day. But, you know, but I used to live in fear of bad weather when I was a disaster guy for the Red Cross, man, because any little rumbling in the sky, and it would be like, you know, you got to start putting your plans into action, at least leaning forward, and I... But now that I'm out of that, man, I'm, <laughs> I love inclement weather now. Yeah, absolutely, man. I've never had a job where I really had to be out and about in inclement weather. So I've never, like, it's, I, I've always, I, I'm like a kid, man. I'm like looking out the window first thing when I get up, like, come on, man, come on, man. Let let it just be covered with snow. I, I, I love a guilt-free day at home. So, yeah, uh, tomorrow we're taking an admin snow day and we're just, we're going to, drink too much and get weird with each other and watch movies right on man i'll make sure i call you all day long <laughs> uh well yeah do do what you need to do man i i know <laughs> how to use do not disturb that's right so uh what are you drinking bud well um weller special reserve i think i've mentioned it before you know and People that have been listening to the show for any length of time is like, Rich is a Scotch guy. What the hell is he doing drinking bourbon? Well, because before I was a Scotch guy, I was a bourbon guy. And I will tell you that W.L. Weller Special Reserve is absolutely phenomenal weeded bourbon. They they claim they are the original weeded bourbon, but 
Um, whatever the case, I would tell you that uh, if you enjoy uh, vanilla and caramels that really come through and hit the tongue, you're going to enjoy this one. If you like a little Susan of honeysuckle, I would highly encourage you to check it out. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man, you are just selling the hell out of Weller, and I, I'm going to see if they've got it on the shelf at my local liquor store here. What about you, bro? What you got? What you got? Well, hold on. I'll tell you in a second. I think you said. Uh, I think you said that's not the most common. Uh, not the most common bourbon, right? It's not a super expensive one, but... No, good Good luck on finding it. Okay. Yeah, good luck on finding that one. It pro- you probably won't. All right, well, I'll see I'll see what I can come up. I'll, I'll tell you what, if I do see it, I'll snatch it up, because well, it's good to know. Yeah, there's... Have you ever heard of um, how to make a... You know, Pappy Van Winkle's like probably the most expensive bourbon, and it's the most sought-after, elusive bourbons on the market. But there, there was a... Somebody come up with an article or a blog post, how to make a poor man's Pappy. And you would mix uh, a couple of different types of Weller and put it in a little oak barrel that you could buy off of Amazon, let it sit for like a month, and, and you would have something that was a virtually indistinguishable. And I think once that damn article got popular, you can't find the regular Wellers anymore. Huh. No, I haven't seen that. I'll tell you an article. The first time I ever heard of Pappy, the article that told me about it was, and this is what I thought you were going to go into, it was how to create a cult brand. Yeah, uh, because that's essentially what Pappy is. People will pay hundreds of dollars for a bottle in some circumstances uh, because they have created such a cult following around that. But uh, that's you say hundreds of dollars, brother. They're thousands of yeah, dollars. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I find that absolutely fascinating, man. We we should figure out how to do that with across the peak. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm one of those guys, man. I I um I'm a friend with the owner of the liquor store here in town, and they get a couple of bottles a year. And, you know, I, I made it very clear to her that, hey, if you get one, I want one, you know, and uh, bef- before it hits the secondary market. And I think I paid about $300 for a, a bottle. But, uh, you know, I could have walked home and sold it on the secondary for upwards of, you know, eight $900 or more. Yeah, yeah. Guaranteed, man. No doubt about it. So anyway, I'm having a Baba Black Lager from Uinta Brewing. Uh, I, I really like Uinta. It's a Salt Lake City-based brewery, but they they ship stuff all over the U.S., and I'm able to get several different things here. They, man, they have a peach IPA that is just phenomenal, um, and I'll, I'll probably be having one of those on a show sometime in the near future, we'll say. Uh, but right now, I'm, I'm really loving this Black Lager. It's one of the few organic beers you can find that's both affordable and tastes good. It's it's a really good dark lager, man. Well, I think one of the steps, like step one or step two to making a cult following is make it organic, right? I mean, that's got to be in our day and age something that will really help drive sales because, you know, people are attuned to that kind of thing. It definitely couldn't hurt. That's for sure, man. And, and yeah, yeah I, I honestly... That's probably how I ran across it. I'm like, huh, no kidding, an organic beer. That was the first Uenta product I'd ever had, uh, and I ran across it at a at a supermarket in the south when I was on a work trip, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. They've got an organic beer at this little place. And so I bought a six-pack of, I don't know, 11, 12 bucks. It's not super expensive. And, man, it, it just really hit the spot all over the place, man. So I uh, w- when I started traveling out to Salt Lake, I used to – travel out there fairly regularly and i don't think it's any secret that's one of my absolute favorite cities in this great nation of ours i found out that uinta was based out there and they have all sorts of stuff 
No, I, I'll, I'll have to put that on my list of uh, stuff I need to try. So are we ready to get into the show? I am dying to get into the show, man. How to watch the news. I, I have a lot of thoughts on this, and uh, I, I know you do too, but just, just to kind of intro this topic a little bit, I, I just want to say that kind of my, I guess, idea for the show is is I see people that... I, I made the decision to stop watching the news completely when I worked at the Marine Special Operations Schoolhouse, and here's why. So I used to get up at 4.30 in the morning. Uh, I would watch, and not just to watch the news, but because that was my, that was my time to get my personal stuff done, do my personal writing and, and stuff like that. I would get up at 4.30 in the morning, and I would watch 30 minutes of MSNBC, 30 minutes of Fox News, and 30 minutes of CNN. And... I would kind of triangulate the story from there, which we'll talk about as a technique a little bit later on in the show. And then I'd go to work and I would hear everyone talking about one particular version of the story that they had watched. And the thing I noticed about all these people is they're, they're really not happy. They are really angry about things. And that's not how I want to go through my life. I don't want to go through my life angry. I don't think you should go through your life angry. And I really don't think it's healthy to put yourself in a silo of just constantly having, one, your opinions reinforced and never having to be challenged to really think about anything because all you're in this feedback loop where all you get is, yes, Rich, you're exactly right in what you believe about this, and here's more proof of why. Uh, that, that's not really productive, uh, first of all. And secondly, it's not healthy to be angry all the time. And that was not the person that I wanted to be. That's not who I wanted to be around. And I was like, screw it. I'm just opting out. I don't want to know anything about any of this stuff. And I don't want to talk to people about it. Uh, so I would, I became pretty forceful about it. If anyone came to me to talk about a news item, I would just say, hey, man, not interested. Like, find somebody else. Yeah. And when I was in the Marine Corps, you know, um, there's a, a conservative bias in the Marine Corps. And um, I let the guys put a... Uh, uh, a huge flat screen up on the wall, you know, that was supposed to give us uh, operational awareness or what have you. And all it ended up being was a bunch of uh, Fox News all day long. And um, so I got to the point where I absolutely can't stand it now. I do not. I'm like you. I do. I really don't watch the news at all. But what I would do is finally <clears throat> I would just put my earplugs in. And like, hey, if you want, uh, if you want me, man, just tap me on the shoulder. I'm not hearing that freaking crap all day long. Yeah. So, I I know you have, I know you have a prepared a good lead in for this, and th- this is some stuff that I'm not that is is kind of new and interesting to me. So, why don't you go ahead and jump into that, man? Well, when I when I heard you say this critical eye comment, or actually you wrote it in the show notes, I'm like, man, I. I like that. Um, it reminds me of something this colonel I work for, uh, Colonel Mike Ole, I'll give it attribution because he was a, a phenomenal leader, and um, he was actually the tank battalion commander who led the tank battalion, that thunder run into Baghdad. Um, that was Mike Ole and his boys. And one of the things he used to say to his uh, staff officers like myself was look upon each new piece of data with a jaundiced eye. And I had never heard that phrase before, jaundiced eye, and so I had to kind of look it up. But it, it's, you know, it's, it's someone who has a jaundiced eye, someone who's been harmed or tricked before in the past, and now they're more worldwide. Jaundice, you know, of course, is an adjective that means distaste, envy, bitterness, et cetera. But it, uh, the, the root word of jaundice means yellow. And um, 
on that topic, uh, one other thing Mike uh, Colonel O used to say, he would say, uh, if someone does bring something to you, now you've looked at it with a jaundice eye and it comes up and trying to see if it passes the sniff test, he said, is when someone tells you, how do you know that? And now show me. You know, so they can give you the narrative of how they know it, but now you're going to have to show me how you derive those facts. But um, I find it interesting that the word jaundice means yellow and that we're talking about, you know, critically reviewing it because back in the day, man, I don't know if you know this, um, fake news was called yellow journalism. You ever heard that before? I've heard the term and it embarrasses me just a little bit to admit this, but before I read over your notes here, I don't think I grasped where that term originated or really what it meant. So I'm interested, I'm really interested to hear you explain this. Well, yeah, um, Joseph Campbell, uh, you know, he's, of course, the guy that wrote all the stuff about myth and just a phenomenal um, uh, intellectual, I guess. Anyway, he described yellow press newspapers as having daily multi-column front-page headlines covering a variety of topics such as sports and scandal, using bold layouts, you know, stuff like that had large illustration and perhaps in color back in a day when newspapers really didn't have color. So if you did, of course, those papers would sell more a heavy reliance on unnamed sources and unabashed self-promotion. And then the term was extensively used to describe certain major New York City newspapers around 1900. Um, Frank Mott took it a little bit further, and he identified yellow journalism. Of course, we're talking about what we would now term as fake news based on five criteria. Number one, scare headlines, right? Because human beings, you know, we react to fear more than anything. Uh, Number two, lavish use of pictures or images and drawings and things of that nature. Number three, uh, the use of fake interviews, misleading headlines, pseudoscience, and or a parade of false learning from so-called experts. Uh, Number four, emphasis on full-color stuff, you know. Number five would be a dramatic sympathy with the underdog fighting against the system kind of story. Aren't those the same kind of crap we're still that they're still doing today. Yeah, it's really interesting. And one of the one of the classes that I teach at my job kind of centers around behavior and influence. And we talk a lot about a lot of the cognitive biases that you and I talked about in episode five. And a lot of this is really ringing true to me, uh, like not only as yellow journalism, but also as kind of propaganda techniques. And, you know, scare headlines and huge print that plays to high arousal emotions. Humans are more likely to take action, to actually get off their butts and do something when they're in a high arousal emotion like anger or fear or the state of awe that, you know, that can be inspired from like, you know, going to the Grand Canyon or a near-death experience or something of that nature than they are in a low arousal emotion like sadness or contentment or whatever the case may be. Humans are wired as visual, like 90% of the sensory receptors in your body are in your eyeballs. So we are very, very manipulable by images, uh, photos, video, that sort of thing. It has an outsized impact on us. Um, And then, you know, faked interviews, misleading headlines. You know, we we see this all the time still, Rich. You, You can print something fake on the headline of the New York Times, and two weeks later, print that retraction on page three and still be, quote, you know, journalistically, quote unquote, in the right. But who's who is that retraction really going to impact? How many people are going to read that? And even if they do read it, 
is it really going to compete with that entrenched notion that you've already onboarded and internalized? No, that's, yeah. They can say they maintain their journalistic integrity because of it, but, you know, the damage is already done, right? I totally agree, man. And that's another cognitive bias, like the... uh, uh, God, I can't. I, I wish I could remember what it's called, but it's this phon- phenomenon where if you've heard something two times from two different sources that are separated a little bit by time, let's say I read something in the in a book, and then two months later I hear that same you know fact or or not fact as the case may be on TV, even if I don't remember having heard that having read that in the first instance, my brain will subconsciously remember that and I will onboard and entrench that information much more deeply than I would if I'd only heard it once. And I will pretty much believe that to be true for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's so weird. You know, of course, what we're talking about now is we're just rambling. It's not in the show notes. But I had this happen yesterday. My wife just finished a a book that she really enjoyed. I think it was called How to Be a Good Wife. And there was a one little part in the book that really struck home with her where um, this woman said she just wanted to go out into the sea. You know, she didn't really want to die. She just wanted to swim down and be right. Um, and then I watched a documentary last night, and this this uh, scientist was talking about his mother having Alzheimer's, and he said that my mother would would I would catch her wanting to go out into the ocean. And, you know, we would stop her and say, you know, Mom, you're going to drown. She's like, I don't want to die. I just want to live in this environment or something like that. I'm like, those two phrases are so closely related. And the fact that I've never heard them before, but they occurred on the same day, it made me wonder if the author hadn't seen that that same documentary from 10 years ago and, and somehow it found its way into the book, whether consciously or subconsciously. It's hard to know how the brain works like that. It is hard to know, and you know that remi- that just reminds me of the phrase that doesn't have a lot of impact on this, but there's there's nothing new under the sun, you know. No, absolutely and, right. And actually, I'm going to sidetrack just a little bit more. I heard, I read an article the other day, heard a podcast, something. This is also a funny thing about how the brain works. I can't remember if I heard this on the radio, read it in a book, whatever. But they're basically only every story, every movie, every book you've ever read. Basically, there's only seven stories uh, that that are ever told. And I, I wish I could remember what they all were. And I'll try to find that. I'll, I'll try to find that link and put it in the show notes so listeners can consume that content, whatever it is that I I can't remember. I'm probably shouldn't be talking about stuff that I can't even remember where it came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, where are we going to go from here? So I just wanted to. I I have a few reasons that I want to talk about. Uh, why you shouldn't necessarily trust the news, why you shouldn't necessarily trust one specific news outlet, why you should look at the news with a critical eye, or, or as you say, and as I also agree with, a jaundiced eye. And I would say the first one of those is realize that these major news channels are companies. They're, they're not, they weren't placed on earth on the eighth day of creation to provide you with an unbiased glimpse of what is going on in the world. They are companies that are interested in making money. They are are profit. They're not nonprofit. They are for-profit companies with an interest in earning money, earning a profit for their shareholders. So the primary goal is not giving you the news. The primary goal of, of probably a lot of the journalists there, that, that may be what they're interested in, and I, I really hate this attitude that a lot of people have uh, uh, about journalists. Uh, it, it seems to be this attitude that, you know, uh, 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 
anyone in the media is basically this heartless monster that just wants to lie to everybody. I don't think that's the case at all. I think they're just human. I think they're subject to their own biases. They have their own opinions. They have their own beliefs. And there probably is a tendency to skew what they say toward their own personal beliefs and opinions. But they're not monsters. They're not inhuman robots that just want to uh, give you some agenda. But the companies behind them absolutely influence the stories that they're able to run, what they're able to say during their shows, and and that is the primary motivation of these companies. And I think that is the most important thing you can possibly understand about the news is those news channels are there to make a profit. I, I think that that right there, that one truism, really is something that should be hammered home Um in, in school as kids are learning because, you know, it's it's the truism for capitalism that all these companies, you know, you can throw altruism out the window. They are here to make money. And if they can make money by spending things in a way that's not necessarily not true, um, you know, I think they're going to do it. And that's like you said, Justin, it's not because they're monsters. It's just they're people and they got to they got to make a bottom line. And if they need to do that by um, making their restaurant have red and yellow because they know that psychologically it's going to make you hungry when you see those colors they're going to do that and does that make it does that mean there's some malevolence there or nefarious intent not necessarily they're just there to make money right i i 100 believe that man i i absolutely believe that that that's their primary motivation and you know that's that's why you see commercials on these shows that are aligned Probably with the views and beliefs of the people watching these shows. Uh, if, well, like, go ahead. Like, remember Joe Camel? Um, the Camel Advertising was using this cartoon because they were trying to grow a generation of smokers, right? Um, does that mean that they're bad? I don't know. I'll leave that up to the listener. But you got to remember, these are companies that just want to make money. And one of the things that you said several episodes ago, which which I also believe, and it really pisses off some friends of mine that are hardcore conservatives, is that I want the government to protect me not just from outside entities, but from corporations. And that's where I want regulation. And I think we need to do some regulation on this new fake news. I, I'm gonna, I was going to call it phenomenon, but it, it's been around forever. You know? I, yeah, I, I think it has been around forever. I think it's just much more powerful now with social media and 24-hour news cycles and, and all that. And you know, I'm, I'm going to sidetrack again here a little bit, Rich, and I think the greatest, I've probably said this before, this drives me nuts, I think the greatest trick that's ever been pulled on us is this convincing Americans that they can trust one half of the government. Uh, you can trust your side. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they get up there and say. It doesn't matter because they have a certain letter beside their name. Instead, I think all Americans should have a... Uh, uh, a suspicious eye toward any politician that's in office and hold them accountable together, regardless of party affiliation. Hey, uh, you said you were going to do this, but you, you kind of didn't. So WTF, bro. Um, I, I think we should all hold the government to, uh, uh, accountable regardless of whether it's the one that we identify with or not. And that's why I'm unaffiliated uh, I, I'm affiliated to no political party. I'm I'm not even registered to vote. I I think the system's just so fucked. It's kills me to say that, man. But a, a, anyway, I'm again. I'm on a sidetrack here. Well, let me pull us back into where we were talking because you made a, a great point, and that is um, 
you know, we live in a different era, right? And one of the reasons why we're seeing things change at such a rapid rate is probably the, you know, advent of the internet. And uh, those are really cool quote. And I've got it pulled up here from a gentleman by the name of um, Luca de Alfaro, who's a computer, he is a computer scientist at University of California. And he said, you know, before the internet, you couldn't have a person sitting in an attic and generating conspiracy theories on a mass scale. But now you can. And it's like, you know, we're not talking about the Gutenberg press where you actually had to make a huge investment on a printing press and you had to work real hard to get that out there. Brother, you can sit there all day long spinning a web of your own creation and getting people to dance like you're the freaking puppet master and you can do it for nothing. Yep, absolutely agreed. All right, so the next thing that you should know about the news is that the 24-hour news cycle creates its own problem. So... They have 24 hours to fill with something, whether there's news happening that day or not. They, ha- they have to fill 24 hours with something. And back to point number one, if you understand that their primary goal is earning a profit, that translates directly to the type of stuff that they feed you it, it are basically with the intent of driving clicks on their website to advertisers that make them money or get getting you in front of the TV for a set number of hours so they can sell uh, commercials on that channel for X amount of dollars. That that is the that is the goal. And again, to get you there, they need to get you to get you clicking on that ad for, you know, to buy gold and silver, they have to get you in that high arousal emotion of either fear or anger or whatever it is. Um you know, the, the if it bleeds, it leads. The news is mostly only going to talk about negative news items. They're not going to tell you, hey, guys, just want to let you know, if things got real better with with this issue, That's that probably doesn't happen very often. And if it does, it probably doesn't get center stage for very long. Uh, so the paradox here is that a 24-hour cycle should give us time to thoughtfully examine just about anything and have really long, thoughtful discussion. The problem, I think is that Americans' attention span is so short or so unfocused, and this is probably not unique to Americans, but people's attention spans are so short and so unfocused that full-time consumption basically just creates this system where people are repeating the same thing over and over again all day long, and they have to fill this time, so they make all these speculations. They you know, if there's a mass shooting, they're like, we don't know if this guy is ex-military or not. And it's like, whoa, who said anything about military? Why are, why are you even bringing that in? You're bringing it in because you need to say something right now. You can't have dead air because you have to fill 24 hours. How about instead of saying all the things that it could possibly be that you don't know, you just shut the fuck up. And I, I, I don't know, man, it, it I, I get pretty uh, passionate about this topic. Yeah. I, you, <laughs> That uh, the example you just led, uh, we don't know if this is ex-military or not, is a great example. Did you see that 1997 movie, Wag the Dog? Yeah, it's been a long time, but yeah, I did. Dude, people need, if if you're listening, man, you need to, and you haven't seen that movie, you need to check it out. Because they do the same thing um, in the movie, you know, they're like, uh, they're trying to shift this, you know, uh, the president's been accused of something, they're trying to push the news cycle in another direction. They're like, you know, and this has, and one of the quotes is something like, this has nothing to do with the recent deployment of the B-1 bomber. Like, well, what are you talking about? 
Well, look, look, General so-and-so has told us this has nothing to do with it. Just please don't don't try to make something where there's not. And, of course, everybody, now they're worried about why are we deploying B-1 bombers. Um, so, yeah, people can be easily manipulated like that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I, I mean, we could go on example after example after example of this happening. But, uh, yeah, that, that 24-hour cycle creates a problem, man, of having to fill 24 hours, whether you have anything meaningful to say or not. And it leads to a lot of just speculation, a lot of repeating the same things over and over again. You know, I've been sitting at the deer's office in the military and the news is on and it's just a constant loop of, you know, every 30 minutes they go back through the same things again and again and again. And you're just bombarded with this repetition of probably exactly what you already believe. And that's why you're watching that news network. Uh, So point number three is the hunt for ratings, the hunt for clicks forces these channels to get deeper and deeper into specific demographics. Meaning, if you watch Fox News, you're probably not a a liberal person from the Northeast or the Pacific Northwest or Southern California. You're, You're probably a conservative from a few specific areas of the country. And that news network will tailor their content more and more specifically to who they think their audience is because that gets that keeps you in front of the TV longer, keeps you on the radio station longer, and keeps you clicking on that website more. One of the first times I was, you know, you're, we're talking about these specific demographics. One of the first times I was exposed to it, and I, I won't say who the um, advertising agency was, but uh, I was in a, as a Marine Corps officer, I was one of the only uh, military guys in this room full of advertising um, it was one specific advertising agent, but they were giving me like their new pitch for uh, Marine Corps recruiting. And they're like, okay, these are the demographics of millennials. There are five basic types of millennials, and here's who they are. And they had an avatar for each one, and they told how they think and where they live and all this stuff. And and here's how we're going to market to them and, and crawl inside their their skull and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, that is creepy. And those conversations are going on in newsrooms across the, the good old U.S. of A., man, every single day, how they can capture you and hold your attention, and they've got you figured out, or so they think. And and the problem that creates, Rich, is it creates almost a natural conflict of interest in that I can't give people all the news. I can't give people, uh, because I want to keep this audience on my station, I don't want to say anything that makes them mad. So if the people that they vote for, if the people that they really believe in, if the issues that are really important to them, if there's some news that runs counter to that, well, now now I'm in a position where do I put that news out and potentially piss some of my audience off and have them go somewhere else or have them not have them turn the TV off or go to a different website or do I give them the actual news? And I think we know what happens and, and like I mentioned Fox News in my example, this is not limited to Fox News. This is MSNBC. This is CNN. This is probably everything except C-SPAN, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I would say even NPR is not immune to this. They probably uh, don't want to piss off their major donors and and that sort of thing. Even though they're you know they're billed as like an independent, publicly supported thing, but um, they also have a target demographic. And well, let me tell you something. Having worked in the nonprofit sector. You know, we can think that uh, they're a little bit less biased, perhaps, than some of these for-profit. But I will tell you, what I've seen is um, these large donors, uh, 
because I, you know, worked hand in hand with the um, during disaster relief operations with people that were writing these huge checks to pay for the f- the food and and the sheltering and all this other stuff. And they're like, "Well, I'm prepared to write you this big check, but uh, I will tell you right now, you know, you need to have some, let's say, religious pamphlets in the facility or what have you." And we're like, "Well." We, we really can't do that, or I'll only write this check if you can assure me that this money will stay inside the county or inside the state or whatever. And it's like, man, what are you going to do? You know, you need that, that $5 million check. So are you going to go outside your own ethics to get it? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That, and that's the, that's the main problem that I see with that. So point number four that I have on here is everybody needs to realize that the media is not the quote-unquote liberal media. So uh, even um, even some news outlets that you would consider fairly liberal, almost all of them are owned by extremely wealthy, extreme conservatives. And even most local news outlets now are owned by one company. It's a very conservative company that... Um, Rich, did you see this... Um, this was a few weeks ago where there were hundreds of local news channels across the country. Uh, somebody figured this out and put together a big video montage of it. They basically all gave the same statement. Uh, all the anchors at all these new news outlets essentially gave word for word the exact same statement. And somebody is like, what the heck is going on? And they figured out they're all, all owned by the same company. Uh, ultra conservative company. Yeah, I did see that, man. That was creepy as hell. But you know, I, we we saw the same thing with uh, the run up to the invasion in Iraq, you know, that uh, we don't want the evidence of uh white cake uranium to be in the shape of a mushroom cloud and everybody was on the the news cycle saying the same damn thing. And that is not a happenstance, is it? No, <clears throat> definitely not, man. So, uh let's talk about Let's talk about what we can do to fix this. You got any thoughts on that? Or or how we can tell the listener to watch the news maybe more effectively and more thoughtfully. Well, th- there was a good article. I want to link this into the show notes. I'll send you when it's over. It's like uh, it came out yesterday in Science News, and it says people are the, – the title is people are bad at spotting fake news. Can computer programs do it better? And some of the things – and, of course, it's not on the, the show notes – is – one of the a study of hundreds of articles revealed that there were stylistic differences between genuine and made up news, and that the, what they found was that real stories contained more language that conve- that were good at conveying differentiation, whereas the faux stories expressed more certainty. So uh, right out of the gate, man, that might be one things like if if you see legitimate news, there are words that are expressing insight, like using words like think and know or consider. Whereas on the other side of the spectrum, always proven, you know, uh, never, all these kind of very emphatic words. I mean, just little things like that. Yeah, very, very definitive, unambiguous language. Yeah, Yeah. I I like that a lot. Yeah, so that's something right out of the gate. And especially if it appeals to my bias, I'm like, all right, you know, there's something going on here. And I see a lot of um, friends on social media that that will fall, fall prey to this. And it's like, dude, do you really think that Obama burned the American flag at a Muslim rally yesterday? <laughs> I'm making it up, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I do know what you say. And I, I mean, liter- legitimately, I knew people that said he is the I, the 13th imam or whatever, and he's going to usher in the next caliphate and whatever. And I'm like, what what evidence do you have for that? Like, probably he's just a pretty secular 
uh, well-educated dude. Um, uh, that that's probably kind of the end of the story. Like he he's not, you know, he's not trying to overthrow the government of the United States. No, no, of course not. So uh, so anyhow, a couple more thoughts on this. I, I've hit this before, but consuming more news does not make you more happy, and I would contend that it probably, on the whole, makes you less happy. And consuming more news actually doesn't make you better informed. Uh, because again, we, we just have a repetition of these same opinions over and over and over again, because it's pretty conclusive that most people just watch news that conforms to their worldview. So it basically just entrenches existing beliefs. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. And I think one of the most important things is how to think critically. You know, um, you're not going to be more happy if you just get inside your little silo and suck up all the information that that adheres to whatever little bias you have. Um, but even if you say, well, okay, well, then I'm going to go around. I'm, I'm going to do what Rich and Justin say, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch all the news, but I'm going to do it with a really jaundiced eye or critical eye or whatever euphemism you want to use. I'm not necessarily saying that either, are we? No, absolutely not, man. So I have a couple of techniques here, a couple specific techniques on how to be a more effective watcher of the news. And if you're a news junkie, you're probably not going to like this. But technique number one, and this is my preferred technique, if I were going to watch the news, and as you know, I don't own a TV, Rich. Um, if I were going to watch the news on television, here's how I would do it. I would get back to the 30 minutes a day of world and national news and the 30 minutes a day of local news, like how it was when I was a kid. Uh, there was, you know, everybody had their own favorite, you know, news outlet, whether it was ABC, CBS, or NBC. And my my family was an ABC family in, in my hometown, the little local ABC affiliate. And then World News Tonight with Peter Jennings came on right after that for 30 minutes. And and that's actually government directive, right, Rich? <laughs> that... That those uh, that those channels provide, I, I think that is was government directed years and years and years ago. I should I should look into that a little bit more. That those major outlets provide X number of minutes of news uh, on a da- on a daily basis to to people. If there's a directive, I'm unaware of that. Okay, I, I'll have to look into that. But I think that's the I think that's the uh, genesis of that. But uh, I, I'm. I'm a big believer that that one hour of news is really all you need. And I also believe that local news is probably far more important to the average American than world national news. I, I'm, there's not a whole lot that you or I can do to influence world and national events. I, I, I mean, whether you're in the military, even if you're a congressman, there's, there's very little that you by yourself can do to influence these world and national events. But we can influence local things. We do want to know about local traffic outages, local, you know, maniacs on the loose, whatever the case may be. I think local news is probably much more important. And that 30 minutes of world news is going to give you what you need to know without a bunch of other garbage, man. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a, good, that's a good technique. What's, what's your next technique? Okay, so technique number two, and this is if you're a news junkie and, and or have the time, I would say watch about 30 minutes of Fox News, watch about 30 minutes of MSNBC, and watch about 30 minutes of CNN. And I know this is, if you are deeply entrenched in one of these three networks, this is going to drive you up the wall for a couple of weeks until you kind of get in there. But what you'll, what you'll start to experience is that all three of these networks are telling the exact same story, 
but they're framing it differently and they're telling it from a different point of view. MSNBC is always going to be telling the story to paint Trump, President Trump, in the worst possible light. Fox News is always going to be telling that story to paint him in the best possible light. CNN, I, I don't know what their deal is. Anyway, basically, what you'll start to see over time is that you can triangulate that story and find the, like, just basically parse the facts somewhere out of the middle of that. And I, I think there's a ton of benefits to this particular technique. And I think you should probably work some local news in there somewhere as well. But I, I think you should watch all of these outlets, give them all equal time. And I, I mean, what are you afraid of? If your beliefs are that strong, watching 30 minutes of something else is not going to shatter your worldview and it's not going to ruin you as a human or like there's, there's really nothing to fear here, but people are adamantly against this. If you're a news junkie in one of any of these three outlets, I would say give this a try for a week and see if you don't get a more accurate rendering of all these stories. I agree with that. And I've never heard that triangulization of the story before, but I think it's a, a really good way to think of it. But I would go one step further, man. I think that I, I got to get out of these American silos of Fox, uh, MSNBC, CNN. You know, I'll look at the Canadian news. I'll look at the BBC, how they're covering this American thing. I'll look at Reuters. Because a lot of it is, um, you know, these American companies have a way that they spin American stories. But if you step outside and look at the things that are going on within our country from uh, Reuters, for example, you, you might look at it a different way. Would you agree with that? I, I, I actually like that a lot, Rich. And I don't know why I, I, I don't know why I didn't consider that. But, yeah, I really love CBC uh, and I also like BBC. I think you get a very different version of these same events. So, yeah, I would say if you're going to watch, if you've got time to watch two and a half hours of news every day, 30 minutes each of Fox, MSNBC, CNN, CBC, and BBC. And what's that- weird about, yeah, and what's weird about that for for those listeners that maybe don't go out of the country a lot is that all they talk about is what's going on in America. You know, you, you listen to CBC and you think you I'm going to learn about what's going on in the Canadian Parliament and all this other sh- stuff that ain't necessarily the case you're going to hear a lot about what's going on in the good old US of A because Canada is really concerned with what's going on south of their border well as you know I've spent a great deal of time in Canada and everything we do here has a massive impact on Canada so yeah they, they are very interested in in what happens here and yeah so Let's get into the let's get into what technique number two does for you. I'm a strong believer in this. First of all, it forces you out of a silo with one single viewpoint. And I think that's important. I think that's something that generally, as a people, we're really scared to do. We're really afraid to do because it confronts us with alternative viewpoints, which is for whatever reason is kind of viscerally frightening to people to be like, whoa. Why, why are they saying something completely different? We get really mad. We get really angry. Um, even if even if everything they said is completely correct, people get really, really angry when it's framed in a way that doesn't conform to their worldview. I think that is a I, I think that is a massive, massive benefit because it helps your positions evolve. It helps you have a more well-rounded understanding of not only the story itself, but how people that don't see the world exactly the way you see it view that story. Yeah, and um, when I led 
this uh, one mobile training team, before we would go into this new Marine Corps command, there's a lot of data that's coming out of that command every single day and in, in their attainment reports. And I would tell my guys, you know, we were in the uh, first time I saw it, we're sitting at the airport and the four guys on my team, they're all sitting there reading the analytics that is coming out of this one Marine Corps command. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, uh, reading the news, sir. I'm like, okay, what is that? Well, I had them send me uh, all their, their data. And I'm like, let's set that aside. Let's go in with a fresh set of eyes because if you read that, you're going to create a bias before we've ever arrived on the scene, right? Um, you need to have, like you said, Justin, the three sides to the story. And that's going to be one of the sides, but let's not have it already shape our lens before we even get in there to see anything. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, man. And and another thing I think this does for you is, well, probably most importantly, it gives you a more accurate view of what's actually happening. Instead of having the story be framed from one specific point of view, it it makes your understanding of that story itself of the actual facts of that story more accurate and gives you just a, a like better situational awareness on it, better understanding of it, better comprehension. The other thing that I think it helps you do is, and I'm not saying you should change your mind on a story, but, or, or on a political position or whatever, but it, it does help you to refine your position. And this is a thing that I see people often very unwilling to do is refine their position based on new data or, or new, like new things that emerge. And this is something I kind of pride myself on. If, if tomorrow you can prove to me that gravity doesn't exist, I'll say, all right, well, gravity does not exist. And if you can definitively like show me empirical evidence that gravity does not exist, well, all right, you just won a, a convert to your side. I'm always open to new information new data that even if it disproves something that I believe pretty passionately, I'm willing to listen to it and hear it out because I, I want the actual information. I don't just want the information that buttresses what I already think. That's in a way, it reminds me of that irrational escalation. You know, you, you get in your silo and the more information that confirms what you're saying, you just keep going down that path, even though there's new information that's coming out that it really runs contrary and you should pay attention to it, but you're like, you're so stuck on that side. You're unwilling to take on the new stuff that's coming out. So yeah, it's a, it's a bias, man. Yeah, for sure, man. And this will help you overcome that bias. This, this is a, a actual process that you can, you can do to help you overcome that inherent bias. You know, the other thing is uh, we talked about that really there's, that these companies are not spitting out um, uh, this crap because they're nefarious, but there are nefarious things at work, right? Like, you know, China, you think they might have a a vested interest in in swaying American uh, opinion in one way or the other or or Russia or some other foreign actor? I mean, uh, so I think it is important that that uh, the listener develops a critical way of looking at this, right? Yeah, I n- no question about that, man. I, I agree totally. One other thing I'll say is I think watching the quote-unquote other side of the news is much more important than watching your side because you already believe what you believe. You don't really need to be patted on the back and told, yeah, Rich, you're doing a great job. You believe everything just right, just the way it is. I think you need to watch the other side because it forces you to actually think instead of just giving you that pat on the bottom and saying, good game, Rich. 
Yeah, yeah. And I want to, this really is kind of different with what you're talking about, but um, remember we I referenced that article that we're going to put in the show notes. And one of the things that they found was um, they that computers were only good at spotting fake news 70% of the time, which is probably better than people can. But one of the things that humans do, and this has been seen again and again and again, is uh, let's take, um, there was a rumor, Justin, going around that during Hurricane Sandy that the New York Stock Exchange has been flooded. I don't know if you saw that or not. But 86% of Twitter users spread the rumor, whereas only 9% sought confirmation about that story. So you think, well, maybe that's just germane to that particular story. Let's look at another one, Sandy Hook that there was a Sandy Hook survivor uh, that died in the Boston Marathon. And that was another news story that, that, was, that went around. 87% of the time, people in, on Twitter, and again, Twitter, I'm not bashing Twitter. It's just one of the many social uh, you know, media. 87%, so it's almost the exact same percentile. And guess what percent of Twitter users sought confirmation? 7%. So it, you know, I hope I'm talking to the 7% or the 9% that are out there seeking confirmation and not just spreading a rumor because you're not helping anything when you when you push that rumor out there and keep the narrative alive. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that is the audience we want. And and I would kind of compare this to when I go to Amazon.com to buy something and it has 25 reviews, I'm going to look at the top two or three good reviews and see what people like about this. But I'm also going to read the bad reviews and be like, what what are the problems that people have with this? And that's kind of the same thing. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not just going to take one person's opinion that, yes, this thing is the best thing since sliced bread. You need one in your home. I'm going to see, like, does this thing malfunction? Does it, does it break? Does it, is, is it a piece of crap? Like, wh- what are the problems that people have? Is it something that I can live with? And that's kind of the same thing with watching the news. Is there another side to the story? Is there some more depth to it? Is, is there something I'm missing here? Well, and as a former investigator, I will tell you, you know, um, I really like the way the um, the uh, JAG manual made us do our investigations. Like, first you had to go in and collect these things called findings of fact, right? And then based upon the findings of fact, you would develop your opinions. But you, you couldn't have an opinion unless it was grounded solidly on these immutable facts that will hold up in court. I mean, they are what they are. And then, you know, so I like that. If, if you're going to have an opinion, you better have a litany of, of facts that support and defend that uh, stance that you're taking. And a lot of times the news, when you're just telling me, well, it's an unnamed source, Rich. You just got to push the I believe button on this one. I'm like, eh, maybe I'm too jaded. I'm not just pushing that damn I believe button. Yeah. Yeah. Same, man. So, hey, and the other, yeah, and the other thing I think I want to go back to one other thing, you know, it was a book of the week several episodes ago that we did, How to Lie with Statistics. And I think if you read that little slim volume, maybe 100 pages, you're going to be more apt to realize when someone, even if they're using facts, you know, stats and math, you know, math is what it is. Well, not necessarily so. It can be manipulated to sway you. So I think if you read that volume, um, you're going to be a better purveyor of, of news, in my opinion. All right, Rich. Well, uh, do you do you think we've uh, just about ranted enough and should get to the book of the week, or <laughs> you got anything else to add? I think we beat this thing in the ground, man. Let's do book of the week. What do you got? Book of the week, man, is um, how to read a book by uh, Mortimer Adler, and um, he's a absolute uh, genius genius of the first order. And a lot of his uh, learning he attributes to 
his ways in which he reads a book, which are probably different than a lot of people on how we read a book. And I would tell you that um, I think it was written like in the 20s, man, but it is a phenomenal book that talks about the four levels of reading. You know, there's, uh, let's see, elementary, inspectional, analytical, and synoptical. And, and on the synoptical reading, he, he encourages something that, that we kind of talked about this morning, like triangulation, because he'll say you cannot read one book and think that it will like deepen our, your knowledge or understanding of a given subject. You've really got to read several books on that subject uh, in order to grow the mind as he determines uh, and makes you a more uh, conscious being. But phenomenal book tells you how to x-ray a book and get the most out of it. So if you're someone like Justin and I who do read a lot, I would encourage you to throw this into your, um, into your, uh, I don't know what you call it. I guess into your kit bag, for lack of a better word, and uh, and really read it before you read anything else, because it will even if even if you're just a reader of fiction, I think it's going to make you a better reader overall. Yeah, and I have not. I, I'm embarrassed to admit I haven't read that book, Rich, and I am going to put that on my short list. You know what I think we should do? I, I hope everybody is not to the point where they're already t- tuning out by the time we get to the uh, to the outro stuff, but. One thing I think we should do at some point is make a reading list, uh, you know, over, let's say, six months or a year of like the top books you should read, a a book a week that which we're already doing a book a week. But uh, maybe some way to hold people accountable to that, some sort of uh, across the peak book club. I I like that idea. You know, in in the 1972 edition, Mortimer Adler, he actually does. he, He gives an appendix which uh, provides a recommended reading list. And I think there's like a hundred and some odd books on there. And he, you know, in the order in which they probably should be read. And of course, no one would be surprised to know that most of them are part of the Western canon already. But um, anyway, I, I, I like that idea. Let's, let's work on that. All right. Sounds good, man. And you guys out there listening, if, uh, if you're interested in that, please let us know. This, we we want to do what you guys want us to do. So Yeah, and if you got anything for Justin and I, at some point I'd like to get into question of the week. You can always send those to rich at acrossthepeak.com, and we will see if we can't get those on the show at some point. So, Justin, you want to take us out? Yeah, man. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to Across the Peak. We really appreciate our audience, really appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, be sure to check out acrossthepeak.com for show notes and for additional content. We have, Rich and I have put up all sorts of blog posts by this point that complement the shows that will teach you something that you probably need to know. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Don't just tune in and listen on uh, iTunes, YouTube, whatever you happen to listen on. Make sure you're subscribing so you don't miss a single episode. It just shows up in your feed. Uh, there's one other thing I'd like to ask you guys here, and this is a little off, off of our normal script, but we realize that most of our audience is probably male. So Rich came from, Rich has another podcast, I have another podcast, and our audiences on those shows are almost exclusively male. That's probably most of who we brought over here. If you know a woman that would enjoy this show or that could benefit to the content, please pass this on. We want to help everybody. We feel like this content could be of benefit to any living human especially in, in the United States. So please pass that on to, uh, to a female that you think would enjoy the content or get something out of it. And until next week, remember, be safe 
And if you can't be safe, be dangerous. You've been listening to the Across the Peak podcast. Be sure to visit acrossthepeak.com for show notes and bonus content. Until then, be safe. And if you can't be safe, be dangerous. Be dangerous.